The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. On the heights, beside the way, and at the crossroads, she takes her stand and she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all who live. I was there when he established the heavens. I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. I was beside him from the beginning, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. Who is this amazing woman who speaks such powerful words? Is it Sojourner Truth in her Ain't I a Woman speech from the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in 1851? Is it Gloria Steinem in her address to the women of America at the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971? Or perhaps it was Maya Angelou in her On the Pulse of Mourning speech at the inauguration of President Clinton in 1993. No, she's none of these amazing women. She is called Wisdom in the Old Testament and in our first reading from Proverbs. She goes by other names as well, such as Ruach, the feminine Hebrew word for breath. She is also known as the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Christian understanding of the triune God, the other two being traditionally understood as the male persons of God the Father and Jesus the Son. In the Bible, the spirit, this wisdom, this breath, is the wind that first blows over creation in Genesis, separating the waters from the dry land. She is the breath that fills Adam's lungs and sweeps over Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, stirring to life those once slain. She is the mighty gale that parts the Red Sea, allowing God's people to escape from their bondage in Egypt. Hers is the unseen cosmic force that holds the entirety of creation together. When she speaks, Mountains melt, seas part, the dead live. In short, the spirit is the agitator or the outlaw person of the Trinity, oceans parting to let her pass, defying laws of mortality 
and upending oppressive systems and structures. She is still speaking today. She is, in fact, still calling out to us, and yet we struggle to hear her voice because, honestly, largely, we've been taught not to. It is time, it is past time, to learn to listen to her again. Why is it, though, that we pay less attention to the Spirit than to the Father and the Son? I mean, she gets Pentecost, and that's lovely. But other than that, she's largely tucked back in the closet for the rest of the year. Why? Why does the Christian church speak so readily and confidently of father and son, but intentionally or unintentionally assigns the spirit a lesser role, a subordinate one, if you will? Does her femininity somehow threaten the power of the church, mostly held by men for 2,000 years? Is it that the church is afraid of her unfettered power, her unbridled strength, her thunderous voice calling for hope in radical and bold ways? Is it that she intimidates the existing power structures that hold the institutional church together? Does the church attempt to somehow bind and gag her so as to ensure job security to a traditionally male hierarchy? Perhaps it's all of these things. And over time, the church has learned that it can train its mothers and daughters to either mistrust the spirit and her stirrings or ignore her altogether. Heck, in many Christian churches today, women can't vote, much less get ordained, and it is 2022. At any rate, it turns out, being God, she cannot be silenced or restrained. She refuses to be bound and gagged. And there is evidence of her work everywhere in this world. For example, the very fact that pride is a thing is evidence that the Spirit is speaking and moving in this world, calling out words of love to all of humanity. And yet there is still ongoing, wearisome, and frankly boring division in the church over who loves whom, and this is ludicrous and nonsensical. Across the street. Am I pointing at the Wesley Student Center? Oh, really? Okay, well, wherever it is. I'm so bad at directions. Did you know, did you read, just this past week, the Wesley Student Center ended its 109-year-long relationship with the United Methodist Church because of, and I'm quoting here, the center's steadfast commitment to the queer and trans community. The church body which once supported us has become a source of attacks resulting in loss of funding, lengthy church disciplinary actions against our chaplain, and denominational distrust among students whose tolerance for religious hypocrisy and discrimination is blessedly low. End quote. <laughs> This is in the Little Village, if you want to find it, June 5th, that was the article. Sadly, the LGBTQ community <clears throat> and its allies see this as proof that the church does not and cannot love them for who they are. Worse yet, just this past week, a Pastor Dylan Oz in Texas preached to his congregation at Steadfast Baptist Church that gay people should be shot in the back of their head because all homosexuals are pedophiles, NBC News, June 9th.
and the GOP Oklahoma state candidate Jaron Jackson just yesterday called gay men the most disgusting, despicable, stupid thing ever. LGBTQ Nation, June 11th. When people see a denomination refusing to support a campus ministry that celebrates queer and trans students, and when people hear pastors and public leaders spewing such vitriol, when there isn't an alternative public narrative, people are left to think that these judgmental views represent all churches, which is not the case. Which is why Gloria Day voted to be a reconciling in Christ congregation. Which is why we get to have a public presence in the Pride Festival this Saturday. Which is why you need to show up to show the LGBTQ community that there's another way, a better way, a way of love and acceptance and celebration, that there are places of worship calling out to communities whom we have harmed, proclaiming the unconditional love of God. Many people still think human sexuality is a thing to be understood rather than to be celebrated. I find this hilarious. I heard this all the time in Calamus regarding our organist's marriage to his longtime partner. I just don't understand it, people would say, shaking their heads. And I always wanted to say, well, there's plenty about you I don't understand, the least troubling of which is your sexuality. I never had the courage to say that, though. On paper, my love for Doug makes zero sense. He's an atheist. I'm a Lutheran pastor. How is that supposed to work? Very well. Thank you. Since when can ways of the heart be understood? Love is love. Never understood. Have you not read Robert Burns or Walt Whitman? Love can only be celebrated, which is also what Holy Trinity Sunday is all about. The church claims to understand the triune God of Father, Son, and Spirit, but the church cannot understand this. It can't. We have our creeds and our doctrines and our catechisms, and they're lovely, but in the end, these things are human creations. Anyone or anything that claims to understand God is lying. God is a mystery. You can't understand mysteries. That's the definition of a mystery, but you can celebrate them. God does not invite us into understanding. God invites us into celebration. This is not difficult stuff to grasp. There are plenty of things we don't understand, but still celebrate. Why, for example, do my boys and I love the movie Ishtar so much, which is unanimously and universally the worst movie ever made? <clears throat> the little one laughed. Why do babies make us talk in ridiculous voices and make ridiculous faces just to get a reaction from them? Why do the dead come to mind? At the most unexpected moments, filling our hearts with memory and longing. Why are sunsets so beautiful? Why does ice cream taste so good? Why do puppies make us laugh? Why does music make us cry? I don't know the answers to any of these things. I don't need to. These things simply are not to be understood, just celebrated. We don't need to overcomplicate faith. The church's primary work is to proclaim to all people, God loves you. Isn't it our job to keep this message simple and not make it so cerebral that only the educated and privileged have access to it? The church is excellent with words, both in explaining 
and explaining away. Perhaps we could do with less words, more action, more showing up, more celebrating. There is a God. The Christian Church believes that that God exists in three people, Father, Son, and Spirit. How that works, I have no idea. But thankfully, God's work does not depend on my understanding. What we do know is that God's very breath, this spirit, calls to all people, gathers all people, enlightens all people, makes holy all people, and that is straight out of Luther's small catechism in the 16th century. The community of God, Father, Son, and Spirit is something to celebrate because this community of God invites us in to participate in the divine. If you think about it in your life, there are many communities that you're a part of, me too, that cannot be explained or understood but are still celebrated. Heck, the community of our neighborhood is a great example. It makes no sense whatsoever. We have families like ours on the far left of politics and social issues. And then we have military families who still hang life-size cardboard cutouts of Trump in their garages. It makes no sense. But we're friends, not understood, celebrated. And we'll drink beer in our driveways and around our fire pits and yell at each other's children anytime. Understanding not required, only celebration. The community of my children is another example. Three very different people. I don't always understand what they think or say or do, but I love them. They are my heart. I can't fully understand them, but I celebrate them. In fact, some of the things I love most about them are the things I understand the least. When they were all toddlers, I remember one time preparing a sermon for Holy Trinity Sunday. They were wrestling so hard in the living room that they actually fell asleep mid-wrestle. <laughs> Exhausted, arms and legs entwined, sweaty and gross, sand still under their nails, Kool-Aid stains on their lips, each had his own identity, but was still enmeshed with the other two. Where one ended and the other began, I could not tell. Yet that messy and sweaty triune image makes more sense to me than any pristine icon or eloquent creed I have ever known. The Spirit calls out to you today, calling you to speak from your deepest ache. The ache of being left out or overlooked or unheard or unseen for whatever reason, your sexuality, your gender, your skin color. Do not listen to voices that qualify or quantify or conditionalize God's love. They are fake. Listen instead to wisdom, to the voice of the Spirit, to the very breath of God who calls to you, all of you, every single person, crying out that you have value, that you are a precious child of God, that within you the entire universe spins, that you hold future generations and cures and poems and masterpieces within you, that God's Spirit is working in and through you. She will pass the seas of hatred. She will part the seas of hatred to let her people pass through unharmed. Long ago, 
When the foundations of the world were laid, God's spirit took her stand. And her stance is one of joy and love and celebration. On the heights, beside the way, and at the crossroads, she takes her stand and she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. I was there when he established the heavens. I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. I was beside him from the beginning, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the entire human race. Amen.